stay focused on the Lord and just bow your heads and pray with me. Once again, our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning to open the, your words to us, prepare our hearts and our minds for action. Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak through me, doing your work of conviction and of encouragement to build up your body here at Bible Chapel. Lord, teach us your ways. We are a wayward people. We are a distracted people. We are a people of comfort and ease in a consumeristic society. And yet you call us to be different. To be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Now, Lord Jesus, may you be glorified this morning. And may it be as if people are watching you speak and hearing you speak. May indeed they not see me, but see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three of Jesus' closest friends <clears throat> during his time on earth lived in Bethany. I'm not talking about the disciples. But three of his closest friends lived in Bethany. Their names were Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. When Lazarus died, Jesus was sent by the Father to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. And while on his way, Martha runs out to greet him and asks the following question in John eleven twenty one, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What was Jesus' response to her question? Well, she got a great teaching. Verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now sometime later, perhaps just moments later, Martha's sister Mary runs out and greets Jesus and asks him the same question. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. John eleven thirty two. 32. But what was Jesus' response to her question? We find it in verses 33 and 35 of John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, meaning Mary... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Verses 
Now, the phrase deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled basically means that Jesus was angry and he was kind of snorting like he'd had enough. (sighs) Kind of like that. Now, the same question was asked of Jesus from two different people. And yet, he had different results. Why is Martha, was the question I had for us, only able to get a teaching out of Jesus with her question, while Mary is able to break Jesus' heart to the point of weeping with the same question? Now, John provides insight into an earlier encounter with Jesus and his friends Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. When visiting their home, we find Martha serving, and where is Mary? Well, in Luke 10, 39, it says this. She was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. Now, when Martha attempts to scold her, Jesus commends Mary's choice, saying this, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, Mary chose him, even above service to him, and that would not be taken away from her. In fact, it was the best choice really the only choice, and she was commended for that. Now, this is a key reason as to why Mary, and here's the point I want you to get out of this, was able to exert a greater influence over Jesus than Martha was. To put it simply, she valued being in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus shocked the disciples by proclaiming that one of them would betray him, the disciples naturally wanted to know who that person was. Now, since Jesus did not specifically name the disciple, one of them was going to have to ask the awkward question, Lord, who is it? To whom did this task fall? We read about this in John 13, verses 23 and 26. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, why did Peter mention to John to ask the question? Simply put, Peter knew what I think everyone knew in that room. John was a disciple whom Jesus loved, and he had a greater influence over Jesus than the other disciples. Why? Because of his deep love for Jesus. Look at John's Gospels. Look at his letters in the New Testament. They are all full of the subject matter of love. He is, in this story, 
leaning on Jesus like close friends do when sitting. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, to whom would he entrust the care of his earthly mother? It was John. Well, why was it John? Because all the other disciples, including Peter, fled when Jesus was arrested. But John remained with him to the end. But why did John stay with Jesus, you might be thinking? It's because of love. See, love endures all things. Love never fails. God said this to King David in the midst of a rebuke to David for his sin with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 12, 7 to 8. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. You notice the sovereignty of God in this passage, by the way. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Has God ever said to you, all that I have given you, if you think it's not enough, I will give you much more? Why was God so generous to King David? I think Psalm 27 provides the answer. Psalm 27, 4 says this. This is David. He wrote this. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. One thing he asked. Just to be in the presence of God. Now, he knows this is what God desires. Psalm 27, 8. David records God speaking. This is what God says. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. When we seek the hand of God, that is a reference to what God can give us. But when we seek his face, it's a reference to just seeking him for nothing more than to just be with him and enjoy the pleasure of his company. Because we simply enjoy him so much. All three people, Mary, John, and David, highly valued being with Jesus. And all three people had great influence with Jesus, with God. God is saying the same thing to us about fasting. Is your fasting to God because you miss him so much? long to be with him? You long for his return? That is the best motive. 
And I want to talk to you briefly this morning about motive and purpose. Let's start with motive matters. In Zechariah 7, 4 through 5, it says this, and we should be familiar with this by now. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and the seventh, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? Clearly God is asking the people, you fast for me. Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, this is Jesus speaking, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now I want to put this up here just so you can see this. It's a quote from Sam Walton. When Sam Walton founded Walmart, one of the keys to Walmart's success, and it continues to be one of the keys to their success, was their customer service. It is so very easy to return an item you purchase from one of their stores. And this is what he, the culture he has instilled within Walmart. Because there's only one boss, the customer. And he can fire everybody in the company from the chairman on down simply by spending his money somewhere else. You've all been purchased something from various companies, whether it be Walmart or Best Buy or Amazon or, or whatever. How many of those companies have good to excellent customer service? How many of them make it easy for you to return an item? Oftentimes, returning something is very difficult. So there's a reason why companies like Amazon and Walmart are still around and are thriving. They understand customer service. They understand that the customer is the boss. The customer drives everything. Now, if there's one lesson we've learned in our sermon series on fasting, it's that motive is the boss. Motive is the boss. Just stop and think about this for a moment. The very first words of Jesus, and these are, it is deeply significant that we get this. His first statement on the subject of fasting dealt with the issue of motive. The passage in the Bible on fasting, Isaiah 58, is all about motive. Motive is the boss. Now, having already dealt with motive for fasting in previous sermons, I want to dive into different purposes for fasting. So, what's kind of the purpose of, of fasting? Well, one of them is for personal holiness. We'll look at three purposes this morning. Personal holiness. In Psalm 69.10, it was written, When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5.4, Blessed are those who mourn. Now think about that for a moment. In fasting, we are humbling our souls. 
even to the point of weeping, it says. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Why are those blessed who mourn? Well, they're mourning over their sin. You see, humility, and I define humility as simply I understand who I am in light of who God is. Humility is the basic ingredient of true holiness. Lying at the root of many of our troubling sins, of our personal failures, is the sin of pride. Think about this. At the root of the downfall of Sodom, as of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was not the sexual morality or the homosexuality. Listen to what God said through his prophet Ezekiel about why Sodom fell. Behold, this is Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50. Behold, in other words, listen. Do I have your attention? This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease. So they had more than enough that's America, folks. But did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty, prideful. And they did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. And once again, folks, we see food associated with activities that we shouldn't be involved in. Look at the countries of the world where the homosexual agenda, it not only runs unchecked, but is aggressively advertised as normal. And what do we find? Not only a decay in morality, but the same root causes. Just look at America. Does America have pride? Absolutely. Do we have abundant food? For sure. Are we comfortable? Are we at ease? Absolutely. The only answer to something that deep of a problem would be the exact opposite of that. That's why fasting is the antidote to these poisons. It's an all-out assault to the pride of the human heart. Saying, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? I can't earn your favor. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. They see reality for what it is. So fasting is this odd assault on the pride of the human heart, the unhealthy addiction to food, and the laziness that naturally comes with ease. Now, if to the Israelites, fasting meant humbling the soul, as I read, it also meant a mourning of sin, a genuine contrition and repentance or life change. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, we read this. 
mean Israelites, they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. The one prescribed fast in the Old Testament, again, was in the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Kippur, and it was for the remembering and the confessing and the contrition for their sins. So mourning over personal sin, it is a vital act in this process we call sanctification. But it doesn't end there. God wants us to move beyond the place of mourning for our own personal sins into a spirit-led mourning into the sins of the church, the nation, and the world. I believe God is concerned to find those who share his feelings for the spiritual state of his creation. After hearing the condition of the Jews who had survived the exile, just listen to this, in the current state of the city of Jerusalem, this is what Nehemiah, this is how Nehemiah responded. Nehemiah 1, verses 4 through 7. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When you heard about, and perhaps you haven't, but I'm assuming you have, what the state of Washington passed in terms of sex education for our children, did that move you to weep and to pray and to fast? It grieves the heart of God. And that is a strategic assault on the family in all families, especially Christian families, by Satan. He knows we have to get a mother young. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, he remembers who God is, which is so key, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Again, praying day and night. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. So God is looking for people, and he has people fast with the right motive for the purpose of personal holiness. As you are ushered into the presence of God, often through fasting, there's a renewed sense of uh, intimacy with him. You will be overwhelmed, convicted of your sin, and the sins of the nation, of your people, of your church, whatever it be, may be. And let that break your heart. Now, I don't want to sound too simplistic, but another purpose for fasting is we want to see our prayers answered. That's what I call to be heard by God. The people of God had a need, and in order to do His work, they needed safe passage through lands where danger awaited them. 
Yet they put their fate in God's hand of protection. And to make sure God heard their prayers, the people fasted and prayed, and the result was what they hoped for. God listened to their prayers. This is Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 to 23. Again, helping rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Ezra wrote this, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God. How do they humble themselves before their God? To seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So how they humble themselves before God? Verse 23, so he fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Indeed, God is eager to respond favorably to his children who combine their prayers with the fast of God's choosing. Isaiah 58, 9, then you shall call. Fast with the right motive, then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Fasting is designed to make our prayers rise up into the throne room of God. Let me say that again. Fasting is designed to make our prayers rise up into the very throne room of God. It gives a decisive edge to a man's intercessions, power to his petitions. Heaven is ready to bend the ear to listen when someone prays with fasting. When a man or woman is willing to set aside food to concentrate on the work of praying, he is demonstrating that he is serious about seeking God with all of his heart. And when we seek God with all our heart, we will find him. Andrew Murray wrote this. You can read it up on the screen. It says, fasting helps express or helps to express to deepen and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, to sacrifice ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Now, from time to time, we need to be reminded that we are in a war. Prayer is warfare. And when we plead our case in the courtroom of heaven, we cry to the judge for justice. We sometimes forget that we are not alone in that courtroom. Their adversary is also represented in court. You may recall that when Job, the story of Job, in heaven was God and was Satan. Zechariah 3.1 says this. Then he showed me Joshua. This is God showed Zechariah. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So it's not enough that the judge is willing. The, the opposition, our enemy, must first be overcome. Now with the help of of Jesus, who is our advocate, 
who lives to make intercession for his people, we can prevail. And here's a thought I'd like you to think about. If we have sought God for the fulfillment of some promise, whatever that promise may be, it could be that he is waiting for us to humble ourselves and seek him through fasting. That that will be the decisive edge to push things in our favor that God may move. And finally this morning, personal holiness is a purpose for fasting, to be heard by God, and finally, to change God's mind. We are all familiar, I hope, with the story of Jonah in Nineveh. This is verses 5 and 10 of Jonah 3. Jonah goes there to preach. This is what happens. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them. They even put the sackcloth and ashes over their beasts and their animals. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And of course, Jonah knew that God would probably do that because he knew God to be so good and forgiving. And it angered Jonah. But God had pronounced judgment upon Nineveh and yet relented. Well, why? Well, the people repented with what? Fasting and prayer. The power to prevail with God. Remember, that's what we're doing. We're praying. We're trying to prevail with God. Is never seen more clearly in the Bible than when a pronouncement of judgment is either avoided or delayed because of prayer and fasting. In fact, God said this plainly in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. Now, God's laws do not change. Sin inevitably will be visited with judgment. But at the same time, repentance is visited with mercy. Now here's an example of judgment being delayed because of prayer and fasting. And this is from a very wicked person. Judgment was pronounced upon King Ahab. The Bible says that there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. He acted, the Bible says, abominably. So there's no one like him in all the kings of Israel. But look at his response when he hears the judgment leveled against him. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Just think about that. If you are a child of God and have a, a need, 
or you're waiting for God to fulfill a promise. You are not a wicked king. This wicked king humbled himself with fasting and prayer, and God relented and changed his mind and delayed this judgment. If you are a child of God, you're under grace, which means that you're in the favor of God. What do you think your heavenly Father will do for you if you humble yourself with fasting and prayer, claiming his promise and making your need known? He will hear your prayers and answer. King David understood the influence he could exert if he simply humbled himself with prayer and fasting. Do you remember this story when it was decreed that the child born to David and Bathsheba would die because of his sin with killing Uriah the Hittite? David fasted and wept. He knew his only chance to save the child was through prayer and fasting. In 2 Samuel 2, verses 16 and verse 22, we read this. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Now the child dies. David revives himself and worships the Lord and takes food, and the servants are confused. This is what they say. They ask him, well, why? And in verse 22, this is David's response. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. Now, in this instance, God's judgment was not avoided. It was not delayed. But it is a fascinating insight into the character of God and David's relationship with God and how well he knew God. The hope was that through fasting and prayer and the merciful character of our God, that judgment would be circumvented. That is an amazing story. So motive, folks, is the boss when we fast. And the purposes of our fasts vary. Now we'll look at more purposes for fasting next week. But let's close with this reassuring truth. Think about this. To even entertain the idea that God gave us fasting with prayer as a means to get our cries heard is one thing. But to entertain the idea that I can change God's mind through fasting and prayer, I, it's mind-boggling. but it all points to the character of our God. He is full of love, compassion, mercy, kindness. Our God, our Heavenly Father, is good. And that is an encouraging thought. I'd like for you this week to simply meditate on these three purposes of fasting. And we'll discuss them in greater detail at our Zoom Wednesday night Bible study at 7 o'clock. Let's pray. Lord, it is only appropriate that we be reminded 
of how good you are. I thank you for giving us the gift of fasting and of prayer. That ultimately, whether or not we receive what we need, whether it's a, a child to be saved because of our sin, and of course that wasn't answered, but judgment was averted. Provisions were made. Protection was given as a result of prayer and fasting. In the end, as long as we are closer to you, we gain a deeper love and appreciation for your presence. We know what it means that in your presence there is fullness of joy. Then it is worth it to fast for you. Lord, teach us your ways. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed Sunday and a Memorial Day weekend.